that's our title for our two talks, A Preacher of Righteousness, and talk one is Eight Souls Were Saved by Water. And Noah is such a, uh, an incredible account. Uh, it's very uh, ironic, I suppose, how that we're seeing rainbows uh, in our day uh, because of the pandemic that we are living in at the moment. Uh, before that, it had a, a really different connotation uh, in our modern age. Uh, and that, I guess, is the irony. But it certainly is about God's covenant with man. And what I want to do in the first talk is to look at Noah in relation to Abraham, which may seem a little bizarre uh, initially, but I think it's a, a God-given uh, parallel that we're supposed to look at. I, I would love to think that Abraham, probably through Shem, was actually a great help to Abraham, uh, th this man of righteousness. Uh, Noah is called a preacher uh, of righteousness. We don't know anything really that he said. Uh, I think he was a preacher of righteousness because of who he was and what he did, that he walked with God. He was perfect in his generations. And here was a man who went through experiences that Abraham would have benefited from hearing about. In our second talk, uh, I want to just look at Noah and the order which God shows through him as a person and the things that he did. So we can take some practical lessons from Noah, this preacher of righteousness. The statement that we've just read uh, in 1 Peter 3, uh, that eight souls were saved by water, uh, that it is a like figure uh, of baptism, is a principle of right wayness before God. Uh, God flooded the earth to save Noah, not by just lifting him up or bearing him up on the waters, but by getting rid of everything that could compromise his righteousness. Uh, and that's what it is, isn't it? it? As it says, it's an answer. It's the putting away of the, it's not the putting away of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience uh, toward God. We're putting those things uh, away and God rid the earth of everything that was vile, everything that had corrupted God's way, as we shall see. Let me just share with you why this isn't just a Jeremy thing. And you're thinking, what are you talking about? Uh, there are a couple of verses that I think really get us to look at Abraham and Noah in tandem. So if I put this uh, slide up here, uh, and again, I'm hoping this is now working. Some of the animation will be a bit poor. Uh, excuse that. And if anybody wants the slides afterwards, uh, I can get them through to Andrew uh, and we can get them out. They'll probably come through on PDFs. But if I said to you, who, who's that verse about that he should be the heir through the righteousness of faith? Probably if we weren't talking about Noah, you would say it was Abraham. Uh, now you might be thinking it's probably Noah. Well, you would have been right the first time because it is uh, the verse about Abraham in Romans chapter four. But, but if I put this verse up, do you see how similar it is? They became heir of the righteousness, which is by faith. And that person in Hebrews 11 verse seven is Noah. So both of 
these great men of God, these great examples, were heirs of righteousness by their faith. And when you read those verses, they are so similar. Uh, if you have a look in Young's literal translation, when you look in the uh, Greek, they are very, very similar. Uh, and so we're being drawn, aren't we, to look at these two men and their examples that clearly had the same summary when we came to the New Testament. And what they believed in was God's promise. They were, as it says in Romans 4, fully persuaded that what God had promised, he was able also to perform. And, and the more we go into their characters, the more remarkable uh, that is. And again, if I go to the Old Testament and, and pick out a couple of verses, and I said to you, right, who's this about? I behold, I establish my covenant with you and with your seed after you. Who's that about? Or if I give you another verse, I will establish my covenant between me and thee and thy seed. Who's that about? Again, do you see how similar they are? If I put them there, both on the screen, I now give you the references. Uh, the top one uh, from Genesis 9 is about uh, Noah. And in Genesis 17, it is uh, about um, so it's really important when we're looking at this uh, to see that God, in his inspired word, has drawn these two characters together for us to, uh, to have a look at. So I just want to establish this a little further. Um, we are going to go through uh, a plan in this first talk. We just want to look at the days before the flood because we're asked to look back at those uh, through Matthew. To see that when we go back to those, there was this issue about maintaining God's way. And a similarity is with uh, Abraham and Noah about get thee out. That they had to separate, and their separation is such a lesson for us. Noah in uh, 2 Peter is called the eighth person. And do you know translators don't like it? Uh, they wanted to be the first person with seven other people. We'll see that but he's the eighth person, really important. And in both of our talks, we'll come back unto Christ uh, at the end. So I hope that makes uh, a bit of a plan for us to go through. So just come and have a look at this timeline uh, that is before the flood. We'll come to the topic before the flood uh, in a moment. These are the generations up to Abraham from Adam. And highlighted in blue on your screen is Noah. And I guess this is a bit of God's order uh, in the way things are presented. You have 10 generations uh, to the time of Noah. And from Noah, uh, Shem to Abraham is another 10 generations. So that could be just coincidence or it could be the way God has set things out. Uh, I definitely feel it is the latter. Shem is there and in our Bibles is the person through the genealogy. Just come to this reference that is now on the screen. Uh, oh, sorry, let's just quickly check. Uh, yeah, so Shem here, uh, I've highlighted it there. Uh, so we've just got that generation uh, from Noah to Abraham, those 10 generations. And that is the point uh, regarding Shem. And the reason I'm just pointing that out is that that may come up uh, a couple of times. 
This is the reference I want you to go to on the screen. Come with me to Genesis chapter 10. So uh, I've got my uh, Bible here. I'm opening it to, uh, to Genesis 10, and I'm reading from the King James Version. So in Genesis 10 and verse 21, uh, we have these uh, genealogies being talked about. And it says in verse 21, unto Shem also, the father of all the children of Eber, the brother of Japheth, the older, even to him were children born. So uh, I don't know about you, from Sunday school, I, I sort of reel off Shem, Ham and Japheth. Shem is deemed uh, the oldest one, and there he is in our genealogies. But do you see here, uh, in the King James Version, it suggests that actually Japheth was the elder. If you are using the uh, ESV, look how it uses and translates that same phrase, uh, that Shem was the elder brother of Japheth. So from that verse alone, we can't be sure, but we will come back to it uh, a little later on. Now, I just want to bring you back to that genealogy. So here it is again on the screen. And I want to show you something that I'm sure you know, but it's just important that we understand in our considerations this afternoon. You see, this is the overlap between Noah and Abraham. And, and I fully accept that these dates uh, are not absolute um, and, and you may have uh, different uh, dates, but they're there or thereabouts if we can go with that. So we have 58 years of overlap between Abraham and Noah. And of course, Abraham didn't start his journeys. He, he stayed for a while in Haran um, till a bit later. But there is this overlap where he would have known of Noah. Noah was the story, wasn't it? There wasn't anybody else except Noah and his family who were telling the story. Uh, they would have been talking about the generations before, but you would have only had, uh, for a while at least, one version of events. And he was alive uh, for 58 years at the time of Noah. Uh, and then let's just look at Shem. Do you see, Shem outlives Abraham. Now, now that's something I hadn't realized, uh, and I know that I'm normally behind everybody else, but that's important for us to understand. And, and you may remember that Shem came down, and I find it unlikely that Abraham and Shem would not have met. Abraham was a man who trusted in God implicitly. And I believe to have somebody to follow, some examples, some experiences of life to share, like we do in the fellowship we have in the Lord Jesus Christ, it, it was really important. And that overlap with Shem in particular, I, I think is quite important just for uh, us to have in our minds that little uh, red mark up towards the top of the map is where Mount Ararat is likely to, uh, to be. And do you remember that Abraham uh, journeyed from Ur of the Chaldeans up to Haran? And as I said before, Shem and his people were going to come down and go down, uh, as it were, in part to uh, the bottom right of the screen before Abraham then actually travels into uh, Canaan, into the promised land. So that's 
important and I, I would like to suggest and I'm only suggesting that Shem and Abraham's paths are likely to have crossed how Abraham would have looked out for somebody who shared his faith and it's just interesting that God gets him to go up to Haran first uh, and you know who knows the conversations but just have that in mind you know, if, if it's wrong, it's wrong. No worries. It doesn't make or break anything. Uh, it's just an idea. But Shem outlived Abraham. So let's have a look at before the flood. Open your Bibles, please, to Matthew 24, where we're instructed in our days to look back to the times before the flood. And I'm being really careful how I phrase that, because often we talk about the days of Noah, but in Matthew 24 and in verse 37, it says, as the days of Noah were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. But it then goes on to say, for as in the days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying, giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered into the ark. So the coming of the Son of Man will be a surprise. Uh, it will come as a thief in the night. Um, but what we've got to look back to is the ways that were being displayed, the lives that were being manifest before God in the days before the flood. And before the flood, they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage. So we just need to have in our heads, uh, you know, if we've got some examples of eating and drinking, if we've got some examples of marrying and giving in marriage that will help us get a bit of an understanding uh, of that. Now just turn over to Luke 17. Interestingly, the parallel record isn't in uh, Luke 21, uh, but it's there in Luke 17. And we're told uh, in verse 26, that as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be also in the days of the Son of Man. Uh, and it tells us they did eat, they drank, they married wives, they were given in marriage until the day that Noah entered into the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. And, and it says it was also like that in the days of Lot. They did eat, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they builded. Uh, and so very easily we understand that people were preoccupied with self. So here we are in the age of the selfie and we have people around us who are preoccupied uh, with self. Come back to that uh, in a moment. There is one other time that marrying and giving in marriage, you don't need to turn it up, it's when in Luke 20, the Lord Jesus is responding to the question of marriage in the kingdom. And what he's saying is marrying and giving in marriage is for this age, uh, it's for this time. So uh, he uses that phrase again, just a, a point of detail. So I just want to go back. I, I'm not at all suggesting that we lose the premise and the principle that the times of Noah and the times before the flood and the times of Lot were people who were preoccupied with self and not occupied with the things of God. But there seems to be a bit of detail uh, in that time before the flood and I'd just love to go and have a quick look at that. So come with me back to Genesis. So here we go, we're going back to the times before the flood and the introduction of Noah. So in Genesis 5 and 6, uh, I have coloured in, in my Bible 
uh, this phrase, sons and daughters. So we're told that the generations of Adam, uh, who were now not in the likeness of God in which they were made, uh, they were now in Adam's likeness and Adam's image. Uh, and he had a son and called him Seth, verse 3. And the days of Adam, verse 4, after he had begotten Seth, were 800 years, and he begat sons and daughters. Oh, and there it is again, end of verse 7, end of verse 10, end of verse 13, end of 16, end of 19, end of 22, end of 26, end of 30. So it's all about sons and daughters, sons and daughters, sons and daughters, sons and daughters. Uh, and men began, chapter 6, verse 1, to multiply on the face of the earth. So they weren't multiplying and being fruitful as the command was. Uh, we know that principle well. They were just multiplying and having sons uh, and daughters. Uh, except for one, uh, by the way, in that list. Uh, Lamech, verse 28 of chapter 5, lived 180 and two years and he begat a son. So here's a man being born with a purpose. So it's important that we just pick up that repetition and the summary in uh, chapter six. And if we go back before chapter five to the end of chapter four, on the screen there in verse 26, it says, to Seth, to him there was born a son, and he called his name Enos. So Enos actually means man. Uh, it, it comes from uh, to put or to set, um, and that actually comes uh, from something that is weak or frail, uh, which is just interesting. Uh, and it says, then began men to call upon the name of the Lord. And if you've different uh, people have got different versions, it's a tough one for the translators. The Young's literal translation says, then a beginning was made of preaching in the name of Jehovah. So there was an effort for men to call upon the name of the Lord. And then they multiplied, sons and daughters, sons and daughters, sons and daughters. And in that multiplying, chapter 6, verse 1, which is on the screen there, we're told it came to pass when men began to multiply on the face of the earth that daughters were born unto them. Well, of course, they would have had sons and daughters, but... It just gives us daughters, because this is that distinction that we so often get stuck over, where there were sons who were beginning to call on the name of the Lord, and out of this multiplying, there were daughters. And it's that where the sons of God saw the daughters of men, that they were fair, they took them and took wives of all which they chose. So marrying and giving in marriage is our example. What's really important as we just go through this is that we understand the output of this uh, is there in verse 4. Uh, we've got the giants. And when the sons of God came in unto the daughters of men, that they bare children to them, the same became mighty men, which were of old men of renown. And we know that that means name, men of name. Their name was important to them. Uh, their self was important to them. Uh, and, and, that, and that's what's happened. A bit later, we might talk about the way of Cain. 
which is mentioned in Jude, which is a warning for our days. And the way of Cain was about name. He was the first person to name a city after his son. You know, he wants the name value. Uh, he wants his name to be up in lights. And he was also a man associated with violence because Lamech wanted to do more damage uh, than he did. So we have this example of marrying and giving uh, in marriage. And I now want to link this with our second gender point, which is looking at God's way. You see, if we go back to Genesis 3, it, I know it's not eating and drinking, but just go with me here for a second. We have an example of eating before the flood. It's the only example we have. Uh, but here we have a specific example of eating. And it was when Eve desired to be like God, or like unto God, knowing good and evil. And I just want you to see that this is both corrupting God's way. Both these situations of eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage before the flood seem to have the same output. So just have a look at this. You'll know this well. Verse 6 of chapter 3, the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree to be desired to make one wise and she took of the fruit thereof. So God had never designed this tree for it. He never created it, made it to be one for fruit. But she saw fruit in it. You have a look back in, in Genesis 2. There wasn't fruit. But she saw something there that she thought was fruit for her, desirable. This is the issue, isn't it? That in our day, we desire things that God hasn't put there. He's created and made the earth for us. And in his order, he's told us what is fruit for us, what will be beneficial for us. And we go and grab other stuff. Uh, you know, we're crackers in, in the way in which we go away from the things that God has created and made for us that is fruit for our good. And we know we've got that progression. She saw, uh, desired, and she took. I mean, just quickly make sure you've got that link in chapter 6, verse 2, okay? So when we get to the marrying and giving in marriage, chapter 6, verse 2, the sons of God saw the daughters of men, that they were fair, and they took. This isn't what God had designed. You know, God had created Adam in his image and his likeness. These sons and daughters, sons and daughters, sons and daughters, sons and daughters, these were offspring from multiplying that were not in the image and the likeness of God. And what did God have to do in Genesis 3 at the end? Well, we know he had to put a cherubim to keep the way of the tree of life. He had to keep the way. And you see, that's the phrase that comes up uh, when we come into Genesis 6. So they saw, they desired, they took. And the end result is God needed to keep the way. When we come to Genesis 6, uh, just turn back there, we've already seen the link in verse 2, they saw, desired, and took. And have a look at the summary. 
verse 12, God looked upon the earth and behold, it was corrupt. For all flesh had corrupted his way upon the earth. It's, it's the same result, you see. This is the days before the flood. They were doing lots of other things about self. They, they were becoming people of name. But the issue was they were corrupting God's way. And how lush is it that if we go to the time of Abraham, uh, just turn with me to Genesis 18. 18, 19, nice easy verse to remember. God says, I know him. That Abraham, he will command his children and his household after him. And they shall keep the way of the Lord to do justice and judgment. That the Lord may bring upon Abraham that which he has spoken of him. You see, God saved Noah from a generation that corrupted his way. And all those that have corrupted his way, he flooded. He took away with the destruction that he brought upon the earth, the whole earth, in the flood, in order that Noah could keep his way. Who else? Do, oh, Abraham. Can you imagine the conversation, potentially, potentially, with Shem? Yeah. Abraham, it was the same. It was the same in our day. Dad told me, you know, how things progress, and everybody neglected God's way. Such a, a sad situation. So let's now just explore that a bit further, because if we go on to this next point. God knew Abraham would keep the way of the Lord and therefore he was able to speak to him in a, a very special uh, way. Have you ever thought about this? Abraham would command his children, his household after him. Do, do you know anybody else who did that if we reverse what we're thinking about? You won't get much better example than Noah. You know, if I said to you, is, is Methuselah a good man or a bad man? I think most of you would probably say good. He, he died before the flood came. What about Noah's dad? Lamech, good Lamech. Was he a good man or a bad man? You'd probably say good. So, so let me ask you this. How many of Methuselah's children and he had sons and daughters were in the ark with Noah. Oh, how many of Noah's brothers and sisters, because Lamech had sons and daughters, were in the ark with Noah? None. Absolutely none. When you think about that, that is incredible. Who were in the ark with him? His sons and his son's wife and Noah's wife. Eight souls were saved by water. Let me just read this again. For I know him that he will command his children and his household after him and they shall keep the way of the Lord. You know, just imagine 
Abraham knowing this and thinking, this is what I've got to do with my family and my nest. This is what we're trying to do right now. What an example Noah is. I mean, just think about that as well. You know, we were told to come back and look at our day in conjunction with the days before the flood and the days of Sodom and Gomorrah. Just think about the challenge that Lot had. He was a righteous man whose soul was vexed when he was in Sodom and Gomorrah. And when he talked to his sons-in-law, they mocked him. And his wife looked back. Do, Do you see... Don't judge that situation. Do not judge that situation, but come back to what Noah's achieved. It is amazing. And what a blessing and what an incredible help it must have been for Shem, potentially, to talk with Abraham and tell him about the things that he did with his kids. Yeah, this is how he, this is what, yeah, we weren't allowed to do that. Yet there's corrupt people all around us. They they were corrupting God's way. But he told us about God's way. He was preparing an ark to the saving of his house. What what an incredible man. What a preacher of righteousness through the things uh, that he did. And you see, that same behavior comes out in the same sort of actions we see through Abraham who was told to get thee out of thy country from thy kindred from thy fathers to a land that I will show thee we wouldn't think that very often would we with regards to to Noah Uh, but let's just think about that he's going to leave his world his country he's going to a place that he doesn't know for sure probably not ever seen rain and none of his brothers and sisters or his aunties and uncles or his, his cousins are, are coming in to the ark. They're not, they're not interested. From thy father's house into a land that I will show thee. Putting those words back to Noah makes a big difference. Here was a man who separated himself. And it's tough, isn't it, brothers and sisters and friends? You know, we sort of try to be in the world but not of it uh, that's the sort of phrase that goes it's interesting i don't know how be, how many people are, are with us today but in some of the gatherings that we've done uh, online there's been hundreds of people and you sort of think well you know why is that well you know don't don't expect that jerry when everything gets going well why wouldn't we expect that I'll tell you why. It's because we've got other things to do. You are. What other thing? I, and I know I'm exactly the same. We've got time on our hands. But actually, what are our priorities? What, what does separation really look like? Let me show you the words in Genesis 6. Uh, those words, you can, you can find all those words uh, when you come to Zephaniah, when it's talking about the last day. Uh, as well but they were bad times Uh, that's picked out in two separate passages Um, but you know everything was not right Uh, and we know that they corrupted his way upon the earth 
This is what it says about Noah in between. That's an incredible interjection, isn't it? Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a just man and perfect in his generations. And Noah walked with God. Uh, By the way, like Enoch, we're told he walked with God twice. Enoch was the man who was preaching against Cain's way with Lamech more than likely wanting to uh, take him out. It goes on to say in, uh, uh, I think it's uh, in chapter eight, uh, chapter seven, uh, he'd done all that God had commanded him. And in chapter seven, I've seen righteous before me. I've seen you righteous before me in this generation. So if we were writing about our world and we were writing about our brothers and sisters, does it have that distinction uh, that is there in the record with Noah and certainly was with, uh, with Abraham? Uh, we haven't got time uh, really to go into this, um, but this way of Cain from Jude 11 is also getting us to look back to make sure that we're ready uh, for the return of the Lord Jesus Christ and do not come, become compromised in our faith. He's saying you've got to fight, contend for your faith, for the faith. And the way of Cain is mentioned there. And Cain was a man of renown. He was a man of name. Uh, he, he, as I say, he was the first person to name a city after the name of his son. Uh, he was also a man of violence. You remember that Lamech, Uh, wanted to do more damage uh, than he had. Um, He says, if Cain had been avenged sevenfold, truly Lamech seventy and sevenfold. So this is the the way of Cain that I think Enoch uh, in Jude was preaching uh, against. So it's important just to understand this separation point with Noah but how that links. You know, when we read in chapter 12, verse 1, those words are very, very appropriate uh, to, to Noah as well, very distinctly, uh, I think. So now we're now on to the eighth person. So open your Bibles to 2 Peter chapter 2. So we've got to go to the New Testament, uh, 2 Peter 2, and uh, look at another summary of Noah. And this, again, will take us to maybe some links with Noah. Sorry, links with Abraham, my apologies. 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse 5. We're told that God spared not the old world, but saved Noah, the eighth person, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood upon the world of the ungodly. And... The idea that Noah is the eighth person clearly does mean, uh, as it says on the screen, that there were seven others. But the word eight or eighth is absolutely there. I don't know if you've got other translations. Let me put some on the screen. Uh, In the New International Version, it says, Noah is a preacher of righteousness and seven others. Uh, In the New King James Version, Noah, one of eight people, a preacher of righteousness. And Noah, the Revised Standard Version, herald of righteousness with seven others, as in the Revised Standard Version. 
and those translations with the word seven just they're not right they really are not right uh, I'd love to tell you to get a pen and just cross it out but that would be naughty uh, the, the point is he's the eighth person and what God is saying understand why he's the eighth person sure Peter was the first disciple and maybe we'd love to say that Noah was one of eight people uh, he, he was one with seven others I, I get that but he wasn't he wasn't he was the eighth person let's just unpick this a little bit you see that word eighth is used in a, a few other places twice in revelation where it, for example it's talking about the eighth stone and there is one two three four. there are numbers okay it's a number and we've had 2 peter 2 verse 5 and in luke 1 and Acts 7 it's talking about a day the eighth day which is the day of circumcision where does that take you back to takes you back to Abraham you see this is why Noah is the eighth person it's really really important and yet because we're not quite sure how to do it we, we've translated it through uh, you know the translators in lots of different ways but he's the eighth person let's let's explore it some more first of all uh, there is uh, an idea which is a really lovely idea um, you just need to come back to uh, Genesis chapter 4. Uh, let's move the slide on. So if we uh, have a look at these, uh, these people here, do you remember in chapter 4 of Genesis, uh, Seth, there was born a son, he was called Enos, and Young's literal translation says, then a beginning was made of preaching in the name of Jehovah. So if you follow that through, then Noah was the eighth person from Enos. So he could have been the eighth preacher of righteousness uh, from that perspective. I, I have a problem with that. I, I think it's great and it could be right. But if Noah is a preacher of righteousness described by God, that's the standard. And those others didn't meet that standard bar Enoch you see we've already said you know what, what happened with their kids where, where do we find out about those people in Hebrews 11 I don't think although they were well-meaning uh, I think that they got waylaid and they had sons and daughters and sons and daughters sons and daughters and it's really difficult isn't it for us to maintain our separation and to maintain our righteousness to the best of our ability. And it gets more exciting if we think back to eighth. You see, eighth and the eighth day and circumcision is all about covenant. And we might think that the story of Noah is about the flooding of the earth. It's not. It's God's covenant with Noah. That's what the story of Noah is about. Uh, we'll show you that in a second. So if you wanted to go back to uh, the covenant of circumcision that happened on the eighth day, uh, here it is uh, back in Genesis 17. So I know you can't read what's on the slide. I'm not expecting you to. I've just highlighted the word eight, okay? And then uh, I've highlighted some words that we could find in the record of Noah. So cut off. 
not difficult. You remember that God was going to cut off man and beast. It's the same language that is used. The word covenant is littered uh, through this. God is making a covenant with man. He's making a covenant with Abraham between me and thee. Beautiful language. Do you remember, this is the language we looked at right at the beginning. This is why Noah's the eighth person. This language between God and Abraham is the same as we see in Genesis 9, between God and Noah. Uh, There's more. Uh, He established this covenant. Uh, That's what he was going to do when he talks about uh, the rainbow. Uh, Establish his covenant with Noah. And the idea of being fruitful comes out in the covenant. And circumcision was a sign. Uh, It was uh, a token. And we'll come back to that. But these are important things with the Lord God Almighty. The rainbow is a token. Uh, The cutting off of the flesh was a token. It's all about the heart. It's all about our attitude. It's all about walking with God. It's all about following his right ways. It's all about making sure that we are perfect in our generations. You can follow that word uh, through. Uh, We won't do that uh, right now. So just come back with me to to Genesis um, and chapter 9. And let's just pull out a few words. I haven't got this on the screen, so you'll need your Bibles open. And uh, we just need to make sure that we're picking up these verses. God spake, by the way, to Noah uh, seven times. God spake to himself or spoke within himself three times. And that's there in verse 8. Um, as one example and then we have the word covenant in verse 9 so do you remember the word establish behold I establish my covenant with you and with your seed after you almost identical to the words that God spake to Abraham we're meant to be looking for these links and and he uses the word covenant again establish my covenant verse 11 Uh, do you see in there uh, it says neither shall all flesh be cut off uh, in verse 11 And then in verse 12, God said, this is the token, there's that word, of the covenant. Got it again in verse 13, the word token in 15, token in uh, 16, sorry, covenant in 15, covenant in 16, token and covenant in 17. I don't know if you've managed to count those through or you've already got them marked up, uh, but there are seven covenants there. And... uh, Obviously, it's always pretty awesome, isn't it? Uh, when you see something like that, is it uh, just good fortune? Uh, is it designed or is it undesigned in terms of coincidence? The thing is, it's not used seven times, obviously. So if you come back to uh, chapter six, The whole reason for the flood, verse 17 of chapter 6, I'm bringing a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh, wherein is the breath of life from under heaven and every living thing that is in the earth shall die. But with thee will I establish my covenant. That's what this thing is about. It's about a covenant. If I said to you, you know, who in the Bible would you go to 
uh, about God's covenant. We would go to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob and David. It starts here with Noah. Eight times does God use the word covenant in his inspired word when he's talking with Noah, the eighth person, a preacher of righteousness. Because this is about covenant. That's why he's the eighth person. Imagine Shem talking with Abraham. Yeah, God made a covenant with my dad too. He told us all about it. We had to build an ark and we had to trust. We knew that things were going to be different. We were going to leave the country that we had been in. We had to leave dad's brothers and even dad's dad. They didn't want to be part of it. We didn't know where we were going. But God promised. He made a covenant between my dad and himself. He established it. And when we came out of the ark, he gave a token. And when Abraham gets the covenant of circumcision in Genesis 17, there must have been that sort of nod. Okay, yeah, I get it. I get it. Yeah. That's what my brother went through with his family before me. I'm going to teach my family God's way. It's just gorgeous, isn't it? And I think it's a biblical principle that, that God does give others for people to learn from, like he's put us in families, in ecclesias, so that we can learn from each other. That's what it's about. How do you do separation? How do you manage the, the difficulties of bringing up children? How do you do the unthinkable when people will mock you? How do you serve the Lord your God and uphold his way in a generation that corrupts his way? Because we live in the days before the flood, the days of Noah. So this last bit is now going to be a bit quick because we're running out of time. Uh, but this is not unexpected. Of course it isn't. We started off reading from Peter about Noah uh, and his family, eight souls being saved by water. It's a type of, of baptism. He was a just man who was perfect in his generations. He walked with God here was a man who is called the eighth person, a preacher of righteousness. Just have a look at this uh, as we finish. Can you turn with me to Noah? Uh, to Noah, we haven't got a book of Noah, have we? Let's go, let's go to Luke one, and we want to find some references to Noah. Uh, these are just word echoes. So Luke one. So Luke 1 gives us the record of John and Elizabeth, who are John the Baptist's mum and dad. And, and just remember these phrases that you've got there on the screen. And, and is this coincidence? I think not. So remember that John was going to prepare the way of the Lord. And Noah, which we'll look at in a moment, uh, prepared an ark to the saving of his house. 
You see, John, we're told in verse 5 of Luke 1, was of the course of a buyer. And he executed his priest's office in verse 8 in the order of his course. You never guess which course a buyer's course was. You can find it in 1 Chronicles 24, verse 10 and 19. You won't be surprised to know it's the eighth course. And go on. Uh, Verse 6. John and Elizabeth were both righteous before God, walking in all his commandments and ordinances of the Lord blameless. You find me some more people where such a similar description and set of words is used about people living before God. That echoes of Noah. And Elizabeth, verse 13, is going to bear a son. And the son has got to be called John, end of verse 13. And you know what John means, right? John means Jehovah is a gracious giver. It comes from the name Jehonan. Jehonan means Jehovah has graced. Interesting, isn't it? Because he's going to go before the Lord Jesus Christ, verse 17, end of verse 17, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. These are incredible word links, aren't they, as we just go through these things. And we're told of very few people who were circumcised. But here we go, verse 59, it came to pass that on the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child. And they said, what's he going to be called? And they wanted to give him a different name. And he said, no, his name is John. His name is Jehovah has graced. Verse 63, he asked for a writing table and wrote saying, his name is John. We can't turn this up right now, uh, but just have a look at these words as well that I've highlighted on here. This is at the baptism of the Lord Jesus Christ. He said to John, we have to fulfill all righteousness. And he was baptised. You see, the ark was born. God bared it out of the water. The heavens were opened. The Spirit of God, find that a bit later uh, in the record of Noah. Like a dove, lighting or, or resting, meaning of Noah's name. God speaks to um, Noah seven times. Uh, We could pick up a psalm where it talks about the voice seven times. And he says to, and of the Lord Jesus Christ, this is my beloved son. That's a beautiful thing, isn't it? Noah was a preacher of righteousness. And Abraham rejoiced to see the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I bet he understood it really well especially when he's got all of the things that Noah understood, all of the things that were handed to Shem, and maybe they talked about, and all of the things, of course, that Abraham and his journey with Sarah and Isaac, uh, the things that he understood. So we've got to make sure we watch out. Uh, We're living in the days, as of the days of Noah, 
where we know what they were doing before the flood. They were corrupting God's way. So we've got to remain separate. We've got to work out how we do that. You know, we're probably doing a great job now. Do we need to do the same things we were doing before? Noah was the eighth person. He, he wasn't one and seven others. He wasn't one of eight. He was the eighth person, a person of covenant. And all of these things lead us to the Lord Jesus Christ. What a preacher of righteousness Noah truly was. So next, we'll look at how he prepared an ark to the saving of his house. Thank you. And we are looking at Noah, who prepared an ark for the saving of his house, which we read from Hebrews 11. Uh, just as a, a bit of a, a recap, the link with Abraham was important because uh, as we had that verse from Hebrews 11, verse 7, he became heir of the righteousness, which is by faith. Uh, we also have in the Old Testament these two verses, which are so similar talking about Abraham and Noah, where God has established his covenant between him and them and between their seed uh, after them or for their seed after them. And those two references from Genesis 17 and Genesis 9 are all about God's covenant. And just to re view and and just to make sure everybody in case you uh, weren't able to join us on the first talk what we've been looking at is the way in which Noah uh, links with uh, with Abraham if we just go into that second uh, part of the genealogy from Adam through to Abraham we can see that there is this overlap uh, of 58 years uh, or thereabouts because some of those dates might be contended but Shem actually lived, uh, outlived uh, Abraham, uh, which is something we may forget uh, as we go through. So as before, we have a bit of a plan just so we uh, stick to uh, what we want to do. Um, and the first bit is to just look at Noah preparing the ark for his house. It was a commandment of God. And it is recorded as an act of faith in Hebrews 11. So if you've got your uh, Bibles, pre please open them to Hebrews 11. It's important that we just really are clear uh, about this act. You see, we're told in verses uh, 1 and 2, uh, let's sort of home in on verse 1, that faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen, for by it the elders repent obtain the good report. Now, of course, we know that faith is, is not something we can just say we have. If I, if I said to you, yeah, I've got a really strong faith, uh, but weren't able to show that faith, then, you know, it's null and void. It's a bit like saying, yeah, I'm a very humble person. <laughs> but once you said it, you're kind of not. Uh, faith, our, our works of faith, should be the very substance, the essence, the assurance of what we hope for. So if we hope 
for the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. If we are looking for God's kingdom to come, we're seeking his kingdom first and his righteousness, then our works should show the substance of of that. Uh, People should see that this is the most important thing in our lives. And it becomes evidence to other people of things not seen. Uh, And that word evidence uh, is used in 2 Timothy 3, when it's talking about the inspired word of God. Uh, And it says, you know, that, that God's word is therefore reproof. You remember that word in 2 Timothy 3. The word reproof is the only other time that that word's used there, evidence. So if we show to others through our works of faith the assurance of what we're hoping for, sometimes it will be a reproof. Uh, The evidence talks back uh, to what people are holding fast to. And with Noah uh, and and with Abraham too, that's certainly true. So Noah building the ark. Uh, his work of faith showed the assurance of what he hoped for. His, it, it was the very thing that he wanted more than anything. He, he was willing to separate himself out from his generation who was corrupting God's way and, and build this ark. And it's an incredible statement when we think that that action would have been evidence for things that were not seen. Uh, rain in Noah's case. Uh, a flood coming to destroy the earth, uh, to cut off, as we saw, man and beast. Uh, It was a reproof uh, to those around him. And it says that he being warned of God of things not seen in verse 7 as yet, moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house, by the which he condemned the world. He reproved the world by his act of faith, and became heir of the righteousness, which is by faith. Uh, you know, we could go into uh, the, the way in which uh, the, the act of faith was incredible because uh, people had probably not seen rain, uh, that it is a long way from the sea, potentially, uh, that this thing was so, so big, took many years to build, and so on. But I think that act of faith is is even greater than that, if it could be. Let, let's just have uh, a look at the um, chronology uh, with some of the dates that were given. So let's go back to, to Genesis chapter 5. So just noting these bits uh, as we go through, in Genesis 6, uh, sorry, in Genesis 5, first of all, in verse 32, we're told uh, that Noah was 500 years and begat Shem, Ham, and Japheth. So he was 500 years when he had his uh, sons. And when we come to chapter 7 and verse 6, we're told that Noah was 600 years when the flood of waters came upon the earth. So there's 100 years from the birth of his children to the time that the flood came into the ark. Uh, Sorry, the flood came upon the earth. And then in verse 3 of chapter 6, as it says, we've got another interesting point, because we're given another time. Uh, Genesis chapter 6, verse 3, the Lord said, My spirit shall not always strive with man, 
for that he also is flesh, yet his days shall be 120 years. So initially I thought that this was the time period when God warned Noah to the point that the flood came. And then uh, I spoke to some people and uh, I was persuaded that it probably wasn't. And then I've kept reading and looking at this and I'm absolutely persuaded it is. Uh, so I'm not quite sure where I'll be in a year's time, but I believe the 120 years is the span uh, before the flood came. Uh, let me sort of explain a bit more. If we summarize, 120 years is given for the days of men. So it's important because is that a Bible principle that God gives a time scale, a time span for judgment and prophecy? And the answer is yes. You know, we could think about the 70 weeks prophecy. It's a, a way in which we see through the inspired word of God that this is a God-given principle. So that's important. The other point, uh, which we've already read, but I'm just going to go back to it, is in Hebrews 11. And it's worth having that reference in your margin uh, at the point of the 120, because it reads, and it's a good translation, by faith Noah, being warned of God of things not seen as yet. So the only time, that we can read of that warning is when God says he will not always strive with man. Uh, he's saying it's going to be 120 years. Uh, um, and that is an act of faith. By faith, Noah being warned of God of all of things not seen as yet, moved with fear with what God had warned about. Being warned with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house. So then we go back. So we know that it was a hundred years when Noah had his children. So he would have been warned at the age of 480. So that's 600 when the flood comes and 120 years back. This is just an aside and relates to our first talk. Just come with me to Genesis 11. So if Shem was born and was the firstborn in Genesis 11, and verse 10, we're told these are the generations of Shem. Shem was 100 years old and begat Arphaxad, but he begat him two years after the flood. So he was 102. Now, does that make sense? It sort of suggests that actually Noah would have been 502 when he had Shem, which may make some sense that Japheth possibly was the older. I don't know. It really doesn't matter because what God presents is the genealogy coming through, uh, through Shem, uh, and that's important uh, to us. So uh, Shem um, was actually 98, as it says on the slide there, the end of the flood, because he was uh, 100 uh, when he had his son, Arphaxad, but that was two years after the flood. So I hope you managed to sort of stick with that. It doesn't matter that middle bit. The bit that does matter is that if Noah was 480 when he was warned of God and he prepared an ark to the saving of his house, he didn't have a house. He didn't have a Shem 
Ham or Japheth. Now all of a sudden, Hebrews 11 verse 7 becomes something else, doesn't it? Being warned, he started building the ark and he had no kids. Do you know anybody else who's been really faithful uh, when they've been promised a seed and when they've been told that they will have these promises between Abraham? You imagine getting that help. Maybe not from Noah himself, maybe from Shem. Yeah, my, my dad, he started building the ark 20 years before any of us were born. And Abraham being able to take a learning from that, from his brother in the Lord. And you see, I don't think that's all. I really don't. Um, if we go back to our genealogy and uh, centre on this bit before Noah, if you come with me to Genesis 5, we're given some more detail. And clearly, we're not given the detail for no reason. Uh, and the detail that we're given uh, is when they have sons and daughters. So uh, we're told um, in verse 3 of Genesis 5, for example, Adam lived 130 years and begat a son in his own likeness, who was Seth. And then he lived some more and had sons and daughters. And Seth, verse 6, lived 105 years and begat Enos. He lived some more years and begat sons and daughters. So let me just put on the screen what that looks like in terms of the age they had sons and daughters. So those blue lines were the age when we're told in Genesis 5 they had uh, their son, uh, they had a child, and um, they... Um, then had more sons and daughters. Uh, and let me just put on the screen how old Noah was. We know he was 500. Do you see there's a, a ridiculous discrepancy here? That doesn't add up, does it? Uh, that they all, let, let me put it in numbers, maybe this helps. Adam was 130, we've seen Seth 105. Uh, the oldest was Methuselah, 187. And then Noah, is 500. So you might say, well, yeah, Jeremy, uh, he got married late. Do you really think so? You know, what, what else could be the case? Well, surely it's a principle or something that we see regularly with faithful women in the Bible where they could not have children. Do you know one of those faithful women, just going to the end of our first talk, was Elizabeth. Elizabeth was barren. Of course she was. So Hebrews 11, verse 7, is saying, being warned, Noah prepared an ark to the saving of his house that he hadn't got yet because his wife potentially, potentially could not have children. Okay, by faith, what an incredible man. Who, who could have learned from that more than anybody else? Abraham. God knew that Abraham would teach 
his house, his children, his way. That's what Noah had done. Noah had come out. Uh, he'd left his family, his kindred, and, and was going to a place he knew not. Noah was acting on the promise of God, on the command and warning of God, with a timescale, building an ark to the saving of his house when he had no children and could not see himself having children. His wife couldn't bear them. We see it, don't we, with Sarah. Uh, it happens with Rachel and Leah. Uh, both, in both circumstances, God opened their wombs. We see it with Elizabeth. We see it with Hannah. This is something that is a very regular occurrence with faithful women. Doesn't Hebrews 11 verse 7 make so much more sense? And Shem, maybe, 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 when he's talking with Abraham, he's saying, yeah, my dad, he had the same thoughts as you did. I know you, you probably think you want to work it out your own way with Hagar. Hagar, sorry. But my dad had to wait. He, he, he was building the ark for 20 years before he even had the first one of us. And then he did teach us God's way. And my dad and my mum and all three of us and our wives, we went into the ark that dad had prepared. How, how beautiful is that? What a conversation it would have been. What a way in which to share fellowship and to rightly use our occlusal setting. That in one sense is the order of God, isn't it? How we expect these things to come out and we expect to learn from them. And sometimes uh, it seems that God gives us things that uh, are almost a bit confusing and yet when we unpick them, they seem to show God's order even more. And I want to sort of explore a bit of that uh, as we go through. Let's just have a look at the ark itself. The word ark that, you, that we have in the Old Testament is, uh, is different from the ark of the covenant and the, uh, the ark that we have, for example, in Genesis 6. Um, but when you come to the New Testament, can you see those two verses uh, from Hebrews 9 and Hebrews 11? Uh, it talks about the ark which had the golden censer, the ark of the covenant, and it talks about the ark to the saving of his house that we've just read. And those two are the same word. So when we come to the New Testament, the, the word used in Greek brings those things together. So we, we don't need to get too hung up uh, about that. That's just a point uh, of detail. But with the ark, there is a lot, and we will see this, of tabernacle temple language. Open your Bibles at Genesis 6. You see, in preparing a house, uh, in preparing the ark, he's told in verse 14, to make thee an ark of gopher wood, rooms shalt thou make in the ark, and shalt pitch it within and without with pitch. And this is the fashion with which thou shalt make it of. The length of the ark should be 300 cubits, the breadth of it 50 cubits, the height of it 30 cubits. A window shalt thou make to the ark, and in a cubit shalt thou finish it above, and the door of the ark shall 
thou set in the side thereof with lower second and third stories shalt thou make it so th that language the measurements or the second and third stories element reminds us of the tabernacle or leads us i should say to the tabernacle it's tabernacle type language so those are the some of the things that we have that are talked uh, about um the, the words that we have used through God's inspired word are really quite exciting. Uh, you'd never be able to build an ark off the words that are given, but they're clearly there for our learning. Let, let's just look at a few of them. That first word uh, that's just highlighted in blue at the top right, rooms, that's the word for nests. How beautiful is that? So he's saying, look, make nests in the ark. It sort of makes sense, doesn't it? And remember that the Lord Jesus Christ uh, is also going to make abiding places. Do you remember in John 14, he says, in my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And I'm going to prepare a place for you and I'll come again and receive you unto myself that where I am, there ye may be also. So in my father's house are many abiding places. And all this is helping us to understand uh, living in Christ under the uh, order of God's plan. Uh, that word for nest is used of the eagle. Uh, when God moves uh, upon the waters and when the ark is borne up, all of that is eagle language. Uh, this is about God looking after the people who have separated themselves, who have shown themselves to be perfect in their generation, who walked with God. Uh, it's beautiful language and is wanting us to link up with other biblical principles that show us the character of God. Here's one. Uh, that word window. So it doesn't matter what jiggery pokery you do, it doesn't really change. It's not the word window for the window of a tabernacle, for example, uh, sorry, for the window of the temple. Uh, it means noon day. Uh, it comes from the idea of making oil, of light in that sense. But it's not something that is physical. Uh, th this is something that is a situation, something that provides uh, light. And it doesn't matter how you try and work it out. Uh, we translated it as window. Uh, it it's pretty much that in most versions, but it's not that. Uh, he says, what I want you to do is I want you to make an ark with nests. Uh, and then what I want you to do is uh, I want you to make uh, a noon day in it. I mean. It it's really specific language. A window, a noonday shalt thou make to the ark. We'll come back to that. Uh, so here, I've just put on the screen, I should have put this up before, shouldn't I? Uh, it's translated as noon, 11 times noonday, nine times day once, midday once, uh, window once. So, so you get the idea. How about this? I'm sure you know it, but it's just worth making sure we're all on the same uh, page. I mean, this is gorgeous. You've got to make the ark and you'll pitch it within and without with pitch. So those two words 
uh, are, are different. So that first word for pitch is translated atonement 71 times and pitch once. Well, you can imagine, if you, if you were trying to translate this, you, you're not going to use the word atonement. It just wouldn't make sense, would it, in the English? So it's the word pitch, but it's not the word pitch. Uh, and that second word is translated ransom eight times. And then other words twice, it's translated as pitch once. So when you put it into English that doesn't make sense, it is actually pretty awesome. Make thou an ark of gopher wood. Nests shalt thou make in the ark and shalt atone it within and without with a ransom. It's about as good as it gets. There's no, no question who this is talking about. Here is the Lord Jesus Christ. And God is going to call Noah and his family into the ark and all those animals. And God is there within the things of Christ, which we come into under the leadership in this case of uh, a Noah. So this language is really uh, exciting. There's a, a point that we are not going to be able to go into uh, today, but it links with this order point. Um, this might seem a bit chaotic, but actually when you think about the order, it's revealing of the purpose of God. It, it's quite astounding. And when we come to the record of Noah bringing in the animals, you may have noticed, um, it's there in chapter 7 and verse uh, 16, they went in male and female uh, of all flesh. Uh, and they go in according to their kind. It says it back in chapter 6 and verse 19. Of every living thing of all flesh, two of every sort, shalt thou bring into the ark to keep them alive with thee. They shall be male and female. Well, you know you've read that before. But you've read it of human beings in Genesis chapter 1. And then uh, we read it at the beginning of Genesis chapter 5. Of the creation of Adam and Eve. And that male and female were supposed to be in their likeness. Whose likeness was that? It was the likeness of God. But in Genesis chapter 5, we're told, ah, it's all gone wrong. They're now in the likeness and the image of Adam's. How sad. And what God's been telling Noah to do is that you've got to bring all these animals in. After their kind, after their kind, after their kind. They're male and female. And what you'll see with the animals is that they will have more animals after their kind. Whereas men and women have gone out of the order. They should be giving glory to God and having men and women. They should be being fruitful and multiplying and having children in the likeness and the image of God. So there's this sort of imagery that's going on here. And we use the principle even now, don't we? Uh, when we talk about evolution, that a cat cannot become a dog. They have offspring after their likeness. But we, in, from a heart and mind perspective, have offspring that are not after our image. The male and female that God created uh, are not what they should have been. 
uh, and yet it's being demonstrated, I think, in the language that God is giving through that. So let's just, uh, you know, Noah is asked uh, to, to build this ark and this really, uh, you know, for us when we read the record, uh, some quite interesting and also some quite lovely language. Um, the bit that we mustn't forget is that when we read of Noah at the end of chapter six, he did according to all that God commanded him. So it's a key lesson for us, isn't it? Uh, that what we learn from Noah and why he was an heir of righteousness by faith is because he just did what God said. I mean, if we don't read his word, we don't even know what it is that God wants us to do. If we love mercy, uh, first, if we do justly, then we can walk humbly with our God. Uh, and Noah uh, epitomizes this. Uh, let's just carry on with that tabernacle uh, language. You see, there are just little things that come out here. So in Genesis 8 and verse 13, uh, we're told that it was in the first month, on the first day of the month, uh, that the waters were dried up from off the ark and Noah removed the covering of the ark. Just looking at the first day and the first month, we won't spend long on this, uh, but you'll find as you go through all the references, it's to do with the tabernacle. It's to do with God dwelling with man. Uh, the tabernacle was reared up in Exodus 40. On the first day in the first month and on the eighth day, interesting, of the month, uh, they began to consecrate uh, the things of the Lord God. They cleansed all the house of the Lord. Uh, when in Ezra, on the first day of the first month, they went up. But Ezra prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord, to do it, and to teach in Israel statutes and judgments. And then here, uh, on the first month and the first day, they come to purify the sanctuary in Ezekiel 45. So it's just this repetition, uh, this order that God presents um, that we give. And then... It goes on to say, and I've just read it in verse 13, that Noah removed the covering of the ark and looked and behold, the face of the ground was dry. So do you remember him putting the covering on? Oh no, sorry, <laughs> you don't. Because we weren't told about it. He had to pitch it within and without with pitch. But there was no covering but he's just taken a covering off and, and that covering is only used for the coverings of the tabernacle uh, do, do you remember these coverings here uh, so i'm talking about those coverings along the top there were four so you have uh, on the very top uh, what was seal skin uh, sometimes it's referred to as badger skin but what we're told about it in its quality is it, it was impermeable. And then there was ram skins dyed red. And then there was goat skins. And then there was this most gorgeous covering, which was linen. Uh, and it was blue and red and purple uh, with gold embroidered cherubim on it. It's the same, actually, as the door that you can see on the picture going into the tabernacle. It's the only time that this word is used. So, so it wants us to go to this tabernacle language. 
And you see, in Noah, as we'll see a little bit more in a minute, God is asking him to prepare an ark to the saving of his house. And when God asks him to go inside, God's already in there. He says, come in. And then I'll shut the door. Where, where are you going in? Are you going into Christ? It's atoned within and without with a ransom. It's, it's full of nests. And it's been prepared by a faithful man according to the command of God, being warned. And Noah is the lead. And he's going to take his wife and his sons and their wives with him. And he in himself is a, a, a type of the Lord Jesus Christ, as the ark is a type of Christ. All, all these pictures fit together. And he comes out and he takes off this covering. And this, this covering couldn't be more helpful in reminding us of the order that God set forward. You see, God had all of his creation in terms of people in mind right from the beginning. He knew from the beginning that the Lord Jesus Christ would be born as a saviour, as his son. He knew that he was going to create man from the dust of the earth. He knew he was going to make woman from man's side. All of these things fit together. It's his order. He's an eternal God. And these here represent those things beautifully, don't they? God, this impermeable layer uh, over everything. Uh, the Lord Jesus Christ, the ramskins dyed red. Couldn't be a better fit. We don't know how many pieces, by the way, they were. It sort of suggests they were one. Uh, we're told that the goatskins were many pieces. Uh, and man... Uh, we're goats. And do you know we stay goats unless we heed the call of the shepherd. Because the goats on the right, uh, sorry, goats on the left, and there are sheep, lambs on the right. And that beautiful covering is, is women. They are created beautiful. And all four of those layers, when you put the tabernacle up, oh, it's a bit hot, we won't bother with that. No. They're, they're all intrinsically linked in the eternal purpose of God. And hence why 1 Corinthians 11 uh, brings up that order. Again, it's here being referenced by Noah, by the coverings, by the actions of everything that's going on with him preparing an ark for his house and the ark being Christ and God being in the ark. God giving the command that it is through that that you will be saved, but I'll bear you up on the waters. And the point is, brothers and sisters and friends, is that we do get hung up about this. I used, it went with the covenant about that term token. And our head coverings are, are a token. This picture, uh, because I'm a picture person, uh, really helps me. I, so, I sort of get it in another way. You know, it talks about in 1 Corinthians 11 that the glory of the woman is her, her head, her hair. And yeah, sure enough, you look at the blokes around, we lose it pretty quick. God has created us different and he's created women beautiful. And if the priest goes in to do the worship, 
lampstand on the left, table of showbread on the right, the altar of incense before him, all symbolizing our, uh, our elements, key elements of worshipping the Lord our God. When the priest goes in, if he goes in, you'll see boards on the left and on the right. You'll see a curtain in front of him, representative of Christ. Do you know what? If he looks up, he sees another curtain. These coverings. He sees the covering representative of the woman. It's gorgeous. If that's all the priest sees, he will forget the eternal order of God. That he created man who could not glorify God in himself. He needed fellowship. He needed a helper suitable. And they too couldn't join together, serve God perfectly. They needed the Lord Jesus Christ. And all of this is in the order of God. And so when we come together, what a, a wonderful thing it is that we don't just look at one of those coverings, whichever one it is. The head covering is there because the glory is not in that covering. It's in the eternal order that God has established. Just come with me to Song of Solomon 7. I apologize, I've gone off on one, haven't I? But I think it's uh, worthwhile to, to, to have this picture because it's established uh, in the things of, of Noah. So Song of Solomon um, I'm not sure what verse it is until I get there. So Song of Solomon, chapter 7. And just look at this as a link verse. Verse 5. Thine head upon thee is like carmel. And if you've got a marginal note, you'll see that that word carmel is the word crimson. Red. And the hair of thine head like purple. This is describing the bride. And this glory was there. You see, there was a covering on this ark looking forward to the things of the tabernacle, the things that they represented. And, and that's what's there with Noah. Uh, and we would miss it uh, unless we had these really specific words through the preparation uh, of the ark. Now, uh, we're just going on to, uh, to new beginnings. This is still trying to underline the order. Uh, some of you might not like this, uh, but I hope it's interesting. Go with it uh, and see what you think. It's just interesting, okay, that when you come to the ark resting on the land, the, the, the water's stopping, it takes us back to creation. And I think there's a reasonable amount of evidence for this. So let me share with you. So in chapter 8, verse 1, if you come to me there, come with me to that there. It says, God remembered Noah and every living thing and all the cattle that was with him in the ark. And God made a wind to pass over the earth and the waters assuaged, the fountains also of the deep and the winds of uh, windows of heaven were stopped. Let me just put some words. So in Genesis 8, verse 1 and 2, do you see you have the word wind there and the word the earth? So there's a wind that passed over the earth. When do we have that any other time? Well, it's in Genesis 1. The earth was without form and void, and the Spirit of God, the wind of God, 
uh, moved upon the face of the waters. Now, if we just keep going, do you see there's some other words that just are repeated here? The waters, the deep of heaven. God, not surprisingly. So there's some, a really strong link. Now, you won't find all of those words coming together in that way in any other passage of that kind of size. You might find them through a book, uh, but you will not find them in that sort of uh, small passage. So, so what that verse is doing, verses are doing in Genesis 8, I think is taking us back to the beginning of creation. So you, you sort of go back and have a look and think, right, okay, well, that, that culminated in the end of the first day where light was divided from darkness and so we have the beginning of beginnings here again uh, of a new beginning i should say let me see if this works uh, with you on day two uh, god divided the waters let me read that to you uh, we're told in genesis 1 verse 7 and by all means put these in your margins that he made a firmament and divided the waters which were under the firmament from the waters which were above the firmament. And what happens here in verse 2, the fountains also of the deep and the windows of heaven were stopped. So those waters that were coming down and coming up, which were creating the flood, are now being stopped. There's a division. They're going back. Uh, they're being stopped and the waters are swayed. So there's a, a bit of a connection, I think, there. Then uh, we're told in day three uh, that God divided the waters and dry land appeared. Well, what happens? Oh, verse four, the ark rested in the seventh month. Uh, the waters decreased, verse five, until the tenth month, the tenth month on the first day of the month were the tops of the mountains seen. So we have land. I'm going to skip over day four. Oops, sorry. I'm going to skip over day four for a moment. Uh, just come with me to... Day five, uh, fish and birds. So what do we have in verses seven and eight? Uh, sent forth a raven and a dove. Uh, interestingly clean and unclean, but we haven't got time for that. And then on day six, you've got the animals and humans. And God spake to Noah in verse 15, go with thy wife and thy sons and thy sons' wives and bring forth with thee every living thing that is with thee. So do you see there's a pattern here? And even better, when we come to uh, Genesis 2 uh, and God rested, we have Noah building an altar in verse 20. And the Lord smelled, verse 21, a sweet savour. And the Lord said in his heart, I will not again curse. So do you see there's this illusion uh, or this idea of rest? So I have missed out sun, moon and stars. So, so let's just go back to verse six uh, and this is the bit that you'll either love it or hate it uh, so <laughs> go with it one way uh, verse six it came to pass at the end of 40 days that noah opened the window of the ark which he had made so really explicit this is the window which he had made Let, let's go back oh yeah a window shalt thou make to the ark oh no that's the word noonday. The idea of light. <laughs> that doesn't make sense. It's sometimes translated as midday. Well, this window here, 
by the way, in chapter 8, verse 6, is a window. It's used of the tabernacle. Uh, sorry, of the temple. I've said it again uh, later on. It's a window window. Don't you think that's amazing? That there does seem to be this order through Genesis chapter 8 as the end of this comes and we're taken back to new beginnings. And the only bit which is really weird is that Noah opened the window of the ark. Oh, sure, he could have seen the, the sun, the moon, and the stars. I get that. Maybe he hasn't seen them. But what I love is that just maybe that's why we've got this strange word being used. I want you to build a noonday. I want you to make it. I want you to make noonday. How lovely. Uh, and there's lots of verses that we could look at that if we go with God, um, when the sun is at its hottest, uh, Caleb and Joshua, uh, God's enemies will melt. Um, and uh, there's some lovely allusions. So just leave that with you. But I, I, I uh, think it's a beautiful idea. Uh, and I think there's enough evidence there for it to stack up. Right. Let's get to this bit where all, you know, hopefully a lot of these things have already uh, made us think about uh, the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, when you look at the language that we're given in Genesis, in the preparation and then the entering in of the ark, it, it's really quite important. So chapter six, you've got the verses on the screen, verse 18. I'm going to establish my covenant. Thou shalt come into the ark. That's where God is. Uh, chapter seven, verse one. Uh, the Lord said to Noah, come and all thy house. Now, what we'll see as we go through that Noah is the central figure. Of course he is. He's representative of Christ. And yet in his figure, he's also going to go into Christ. These things always happen, don't they, in scripture. And we're told in verse seven that Noah went in. Did he go in in his own? No, <laughs> with his sons and his wife and his son's wives with them. There is an order being shown here in the way in which Noah went into uh, the ark. Then went in two and two. Where did they go? They went unto Noah into the ark. Verse 13. In the selfsame day entered Noah, Shem, Ham, Japheth, the sons of Noah, and Noah's wife, and the three wives of his sons with them. Verse 15. They went in unto Noah, unto the ark, two and two. It's the emphasis that is being put in. They went in uh, in verse 16. If you come to the end of uh, that, it gets even more stark. So in verse 23, halfway through, the fowl of the heaven and they were destroyed from the earth and Noah only remained alive. Really? Oh, and they that were with him in the ark. Do you see this role, this Christ-like role that he has? God remembered, chapter 8, verse 1, Noah, and every living thing and all the cattle that was with him. So he remembered Noah and everything else. And this isn't by accident. This is God laying down principle and, and order and doing it in the most beautiful way, I think. Just come with me. To Colossians. We're coming to the end now and just see how this is picked up. And when we come to Colossians 2, there are two things that I want us to pick up. Uh, one 
is this same language that we've just seen of Noah, unto Noah, in Noah, go to Noah, being used of the Lord Jesus Christ and our relationship with him. And then I want us to secondly see the analogy that is brought forward. And from our first talk, Noah, the eighth person, this should not be a surprise. So it says in verse 9 of Colossians 2, in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And ye are complete in him, which is in the head of principality, is the head, sorry, of all principality and power. In whom, and here's the analogy, also ye are circumcised, of course, with the circumcision made without hands in putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. This is where that cutting off is linkedism. It's the answer of a good conscience, not the filthiness of the flesh. It's getting rid of everything that will compromise us, being righteous towards God. We were buried with him in baptism, wherein also ye are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God. Noah, by his faith, by his faith, is an heir of righteousness. And you, verse 13, being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened together with him, being forgiven you, uh, having forgiven you all trespasses. Just come back to Romans 4. Because we're now going to come full circle and just finish by thinking of Abraham again. But just do not lose the elements of Noah. In verse 13, we have the verse that we started with in this talk from Hebrews 11 verse 7, which is very, very similar uh, concerning Noah, that Abraham, through the law, wasn't righteous through the law, uh, but through the righteousness of faith. So it says in verse 13, for the promise that he should be the heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of of faith and it's been talking about circumcision in verses 11 and 12 and then in verse 23 it says for it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him for he also to whom it shall be imputed if we believe on him that raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead who was delivered for our offenses and was raised again for our justification you see, it says in verse 16, it is a faith that it might be by grace to the end the promise might be sure to all the seed. We can be a part of that seed. And Noah found grace in the sight of God. Here was a man who, by faith, prepared an ark to the saving of his house. Didn't have any children. Probably couldn't have children. What a faithful, faithful man. Here was somebody who I believe, maybe through his son, was able to help a brother who shared the love of God like he did, who left everything, who didn't know where he was going but believed, was fully persuaded that what God had promised he was able also to perform. And then God gives us the language of the preparation of this ark with the most bizarre words ever. But how 
gorgeous, are they? And he just keeps setting out his order. Noah was a preacher of righteousness. He was the eighth person. Noah was a man who showed to us the separation that is required to walk faithfully with our God. 